G'day, Jojo. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Back. G'day, Carrie. <laughs> Why did both come really deep? Because I was to be, <laughs> we both have to be male Australians. I genuinely can't think of any famous Australian women. Candy Minogue. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I should be so lucky, Carrie. Mine's New Zealand. <laughs> um, anyway, why are we doing incredible Australian accents? Um, because we've just got a new trade deal with Australia. I think we should find things. What could we trade that's from Verve Group with Australia? Oh, well, they can send us all their fosters. Yes. I'm all over that. We could send them anti-gravity boots so they don't fall off the end of the world. Yeah, not really something that we've got a lot of in Verve. We need something to trade and then we can take advantage of this trade deal and then, you know, we can go and meet our trade partners in Australia Ooh. and then we'd have an excuse to go out there and um, work on our accents. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what we can trade them for, some nice clipped British accents <laughs> from the north of England. Um, what do they need in Australia? <gasps> Spider traps. Ugh. Snake traps. Sun hats. Parasols! Look, it's hot. We need parasols. They do. We should go over and demonstrate them. Yeah, I mean, we haven't actually, ironically, because we have par the company parasols, we don't have parasols. Mm. Right, so the deal is that they're getting rid of tariffs on exports to each other's countries and phasing over the next 15 years, which means that if we wanted to export to Australia right now, we'd have to pay a tariff on it. So if we were sending them parasols, there'd be extra fees, but actually they're phasing them down over the next 15 years. And then they won't, and then you'll be more likely to... Um, Want to trade with them. To trade with them. Which takes me back many, many years ago. I had a boyfriend, an Italian boyfriend at the time, and they wanted, him and his Italian friend, wanted to import this really good quality passata that you know you can get in Italy, and then we'll sell it to the UK restaurants. Which was a good idea, because actually I never heard of passata until a few years ago. Yeah. Great idea. So they said to me, uh, we don't speak great English, you do. Um, will you get on the phone to HMRC and find out what the tariffs are for like importing mm. it and if there's like VAT implications and so on and I'm not kidding I must have spent three four hours on the phone and it was it's not this department it's this department and then you sat on hold and you, I was just so sick of talking about tomatoes <laughs> and then finally 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 got to the end of it and some like whoever it was who I spoke to just went all right you're not but you're in Europe so there's no tariffs and I was like oh Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely should have known that. Um, but now we're not in Europe. No, now we're not. I mean, you know, that would be a different conversation now. This yeah. was 15 that years ago. That would have been, you'd have been on still for five hours then. <laughs> well, we worked out what the tomatoes trades. And I just really feel were. like I should have, should have been able to. Um, it is, and actually the post-Brexit world, we'll see lots more of these deals kind of cropping up here and there, and it'll be interesting to see the impact that it has on our own inflation and our the cost of living over here. As we've lived in a world where... It used to be, and this is obviously boring mum chat, but I remember when I was growing up and in the summer, we, we had a roast dinner every week, like my grandma made a roast dinner, but in the summer, we had new potatoes instead of mashed potatoes. So normal white potatoes didn't grow very well in the summer um, in this country. And obviously you only got your vegetables and 
things from a local grocer. But now you can get strawberries in the winter, yeah. things that you couldn't get, which, because we, we had so much free export. Um, and I think as the deals come, you might find that you pay more for your potatoes or more for your strawberries and something that you need to keep an eye on. Who were we talking to recently who didn't know Tatey Pickham Week was actually a thing? Everybody. Yeah. Uh-huh. They weren't they were like us. <laughs> so you know the October half term, it's Tatey Pickham Week, and, like, and it's when you pick potatoes. Um, and yeah, literally like nobody else knew it as that. Yeah. There was loads of like lads at my school who would like in the half term go out and pick potatoes. We do love there is a really nice Australian Vionia. <laughs> Vionia that we like. Um Vionia. No, that sounds too French. So actually, you know, there's a lot of nice vineyards there. I tell you what, I've never been more interested than right now when you're talking about getting our favourite wine imported for less. Mm-hmm. How soon do you think that? That's going to kick in. To be fair, I think it works out as the amount that we're saving, something like 52 pence a person a year. Well, yeah, but the more wine you drink, the more you save. (laughs) (laughs) True. I don't think they took into account your alcohol consumption when they did the maths on it. That's just for the average person who probably doesn't down three bottles a night. (laughs) So this amounts to saving about seven or eight pence a bottle. So really, to get my money's worth, <laughs> what I need is, for every 10 bottles of drink, I'm going to save about eight quid, which is like another bottle free. No. 80p. For <laughs> <laughs> every 100 bottles of drink, I'll get one free. Yeah. <laughs> buy 100, get one free, won't it? Yeah. And, you know, there's some rounding in there, so 99, buy 99, you'll get one free, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, a bit of yeah. A bit currency you've movement. you 7.99, aren't they? Yeah. And sometimes you'll get, you know, three for two and stuff. Interesting. This amounts to saving seven or eight pence a bottle, about 50 pence a year, and savings for those who like an Australian tipple. That doesn't work out in the maths, does it? I know, what's the Guardian plan that you only drink like five, six, seven bottles a year? Yeah. Well, once every two months? No. No, you're wrong. silly. <laughs> you silly sausage. Funerals. Go. I love a funeral. I do. <laughs> Tell you what, you know how I had my um, discussion about, I've had this thing where I think people should have living funerals. Yes. Um, because we should only, people should say nice things. Yes. And I had a little surprise party for my work anniversary and I got some a nice card and a video where people said nice things about me and it was yeah. like, almost like a living funeral. It was almost like a living funeral. Like a little memorial to 10 years of joy and people should have that every 10 years. I immediately looked over there to where the typo was and just, oh God, thank God that's oh, I gone. Thought they'd done it. thought they'd done it on purpose. Because I walked in, there was a big surprise and there was just loads of people in the room and there was a big flip chart that said happy anniversary on. But anniversary was spelled wrong and I went, oh, thank you. And, went, oh! and the marketing lady who wrote it was very upset. She was. Speaking of funerals, speaking of them. and us talking about funerals previously, yes. um, do you remember the story I told you about the guy saying we thought the grave had been dug with a spoon <laughs> because the <laughs> bill was so high, um, and we said that funeral prices aren't clear. There's a new law that's come out to say that funeral prices must be much clearer, and I can't help but take you know that little bit of credit for that. You are all welcome, the rest of the world. I think it absolutely makes sense because. It is as horrible as a scenario as it is. It is actually quite standardised, isn't it? Like you were saying before about you've got a coffin and it's this types of wood and then mm-hmm. it's these types of handles and it is it is very almost modular in terms of what you're doing. And why not? Like there's absolutely no reason that those prices shouldn't be clearly shown. And to not show them, cynically, 
you could almost they've possibly gotten away with it because people are so consumed with grief at that point no one's gone and spending a bit of time casually perusing different funeral directors websites to like price match but actually you should be able to if it wasn't for that moment like you know you should have that con- like that clarity and to be honest in financial services at the minute there's a buzzword of vulnerability there's a lot of work around how you identify somebody who might be vulnerable and how you deal with those and, and I can't think of many situations when you could be more vulnerable yeah. Yeah. than you've just lost somebody you love and the fact that there's any obscurity around the way that this is dealt with yeah you know goes against everything that we're trying to do at the minute which is if ever there's a time to make things black and white it's there yeah. isn't it exactly make it as easy as possible So you know how we like to influence the world. We do. I did actually see this article about social media influencers, which is. Oh, itself... I tell you what, if ever there's words that don't come out your mouth, George, social media and influencers. Do you know what? I just get so upset that kids today aren't. So when I, <laughs> when I was a kid. When I was a kid, my absolute <laughs> hero was Doris <laughs> um, I just wanted to be a war reporter and I just thought it was dead exciting and stuff. And now they're like, oh, look at her, she's had a lips done. But I did, so a lot of the time now, these influencers, they're called such because obviously they influence people, but how they manage their influence and how they actually make money is from selling products. So often you'll say, I mean, I'll say you'll say, I won't. A lot of them saying, oh, I've just tried this new slimming pill or I've just tried this new face cream and look how amazing it's made me look. A, it's not a reality because they probably never used it and they filtered the pictures. You couldn't get away with that on TV. You couldn't do an advert and go, this makes me look like I've lost loads of weight. Um, I remember there was an argument years ago about mascara. Everyone used false eyelashes to advertise mascara and now... You have to say if you're using a false eyelash. You, you now a have to thing say. With the hair, wasn't there? I remember. Was it like Cheryl Cole, where it was maybe L'Oreal, and it was all these glowing, like flowy mm. locks. And then eventually it's like, oh yeah, but the hair extensions. And then yeah. it's like, oh yeah, no, but the shampoo's really good for my hair extensions. It's completely different. Instagram was fell through one of those kind of loopholes where they were just giving opinions and it wasn't advertising, even though, you know, they were showing the products and they were shown using the name and the hashtag and giving links. And then the providers of these products would pay these people to essentially sell things for them. Mm-hmm. So it is advertising. Mm-hmm. And it's just recently they've come under the law. I mean, it doesn't stop them doing it. You just have to say this is an advertisement. Yeah. You know, it's the start of, being slightly more open, but I still think there's a lot of work to be done with it. I well, yeah, don't think you should be able to show filtered pictures and say, I've lost loads of weight. Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing. I think I've seen stuff now where they do hashtag ad. So that's great. Fine, I know that you're advertising it, but that doesn't matter if you're false advertising anyway. And like yeah. you say, you couldn't do it on, on the telly. They'll do them on the weight loss DVDs that they do, like all these celebrities do, and they'll have them shown face first and all like glum and pale and like looking oh, really, yeah. like wearing really flattened clothes yeah. and then they'll show them with a spray tan and they'll be all happy and um, they've got like different clothes on they're all breathing in and oh, so there's actual yeah there's still tools that they can use I don't know where's the line because you're always going to sell your product in the best possible light I mean I'm not saying it's acceptable I just think like that's what becomes hard to regulate doesn't I, it yeah but I think it's interesting that the advertising standards are now seeing Instagram and yeah. social media is a media for, for this kind of thing yeah, and yeah. bringing them into some sort of line is the first step um have you been influenced by stuff like have you seen stuff that you end up going oh and like i know it's nonsense but i will try that mascara because i want really long eyelashes yeah um i saw something the other day actually on twitter where somebody was saying it's like that content marketing where you genuinely very rarely you genuinely don't realize you're being marketed to you're watching a story mm-hmm. or something that you think's happening and it's kind of afterwards it's so subliminal the placement and then 
he was just like, you know, I just have to go and lie down in a dark room when it happens because I just can't believe that I've fallen for it. But they're like, they're really, really clever with it. Although I would never fall for some ridiculous thing that somebody who has no talent tried to sell me. Because I'm very aware of filtering and I'm very aware of um, that people don't actually they're look clever like with that. It, though, that's the thing, right? Yeah, this has clever. been like, what, 15 years in the making, which mm. is why it's a, a surprise that it's taken this long for it to fall under any kind of advertising standards. Um, but also the just, same with everything, like people adapt and evolve, don't they? And they'll find workarounds. The thing, it's the same with the funerals. Um, it's surprising it's taken this long for them to put any kind of regulation around it and to demand this transparency. Same with the advertising stuff, because like I say, with Instagram and so on, it's not it's not a flash in the pan, is it? Like It's been a long time. Um, claims management companies is another one. Like, they've just recently come under regulation and you just can't believe it's taken there's so much focus on regulation and personal finance where the vast majority of people are doing the right things the vast majority of the time why is it so long took so long to catch up and it comes back to what we were talking about with cryptocurrency i was reading an article on that at the weekend actually on hedge funds and just the fact that they're unregulated leads to such a different type of behavior and it will catch up eventually hopefully it's like any law it takes its time for, yeah you've got to make sure it's right and you've got to almost let people make the mistakes and get a full understanding of of the downfalls and the advantages of before you can actually put the laws around it to govern it or to regulate it and the problem with that is that people make a lot of money of that while it's unregulated and then you know it's playing catch up all the time they're like oh um it is and just when we're talking about how long it takes to change laws it just got me thinking but you've got some of these off the top of your head you know when you sometimes read about laws that are still in place or laws oh, that like yeah. really should have died out centuries ago yeah like you can't wear a purple hat in Leicester or something yeah. like that yeah <laughs> that kind of thing um there's one oh, that's God, still I love antiquated laws <laughs> honestly it's one of my favorite things <laughs> There's um, legislation remains on the statute books, includes the 1313 law that it's illegal to wear armour in Parliament. <laughs> oh, imagine if, like, Rishi just rocked up in, like, if it... <laughs> <laughs> There's orange juice. Um, it's an offence to be drunk and in charge of cattle. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I feel like that's me every weekend. <laughs> and in 1986, there was a poaching law that states it's illegal to handle a salmon in suspicious circumstances. <laughs> Like, what if the salmon's up to something suspicious and you're making a citizen's arrest? <laughs> All beached whales and sturgeons must be offered to the reigning monarch. <laughs> Just Queen Elizabeth coming in with a big flatbed truck going, I'm here to pick up my whale. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> Lift her on. No person shall, in the course of a business, import into England potatoes which he knows or has reasonable cause to suspect, suspect are from Poland. Oh, what has Poland done to potatoes that we're all so really terrified of them? Like, is it full of drugs? Oh, I imagine if it was just like a, like almost like magic mushrooms, but like magic potatoes from Poland. <laughs> There's people that like oh, smashed off smash. I know, I nailed it. You did, you did. I mean, you said a lot of words until you got there, but you got there. <laughs> I do, that's how I work. I just throw it and see if it sticks, you like do. spaghetti and whether it's done. Do you, used, do you used to do that to see if spaghetti was done, chuck it at the wall, and if it sticks, it's done. Not it's like it's spaghetti. You. <laughs> yeah, spaghetti. spaghetti. <laughs> So we've had another listener question. Interesting. Um, so it's from Lauren. Um, she's recently joined her workplace pension scheme. 
and her boss has started talking to her about salary sacrifice. He seems to think it's a win-win. I get more of my pension. I get more take-home pay. He saves money. But in order to do it, I have to reduce my salary. And she's just said, kind of, what is it? Should I be worried? Is it a scam? Almost if everybody's a winner, that sounds too good to be true. So do you want to touch on salary sacrifice, Warren? Um, yeah, and I can understand. It's it's And whether a boss is dodgy or not. <laughs> he probably is. It's an interesting concept. And I think the word sacrifice has the negative connotations. True. So she's right to kind of ask the question. So in a nutshell, <laughs> salary sacrifice is essentially where you give up part of your salary and your boss will then pay that into a pension for you. So obviously, that means your salary is reduced, which means you pay less tax and you pay less national insurance. Of course, your boss also pays less national insurance. And, and as an extra option, sometimes the employer will actually take the money that they've saved from paying extra NI and put that into the pension as well. So, you know, the benefits are that you get more money into your pension. You know, you save money on tax and NI. Your boss saves money. It works out well for both of you. You're obviously funding your pension, which is a tax efficient way of saving for your retirement. One of the things I think to be cautious of and the biggest downside, I think, of salary sacrifice is that if you're going for a mortgage, for example, or any kind of credit, and they will look at how much you earn and that figure, that top level figure will be reduced. So it's just something to bear in mind because a lot of mortgages are based on, for example, three times your salary. But otherwise, it's, it actually is a very, it's definitely not a scam. Um, it is a very good way of saving and it just reduces the level of tax that everybody's paying. And nobody wants to give the government anything so big. Nobody does. Um, yes, well, I had a, a, a job when I was 11. Yeah. It wasn't so much a summer job, it was an all-year job, but it was an after-school job. Um, I used to deliver the Wee Valley Advertiser, and I think I got something like £10 a week, and I had to go to this creepy man's house. You used to get a paper bag, you used to get leaflets with it, so you'd have to put all the leaflets in the paper, then you'd have to fold them over, and put them in the bag, and then carry them for miles yeah. around the streets. It was a rough job. But you know, it did me, I was 11. Um, but genuinely, how do you feel about summer jobs and kids? I'm going to assume yours weren't working when they were 11. Barely working now, I'm almost 22. But what, like, because there is something obviously around embedding mm -hmm. values and work ethic into kids. What's your thoughts on there it? There is. I don't feel like there's any need for children to work before the age of 16. So Jude this week was going to Alton Towers and he needed £40 for the ticket and then some spending money. So he had a list of jobs that he had to do, including yeah. hoovering every single surface in the house. Oh, and I made him hoover the grass. <laughs> Like every surface that people walk on. Um, highlight that you've got Astro Turf. Oh, yeah, 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 I do, yeah, because otherwise that would be weird. Really weird. Do they still do KFC. work experience in school? They do, yeah, but it's so highly regulated now. Is it's because there's only so many employers and who do it. Wasn't it kind of the aim of that was for you to go and test out a work environment and like, mm -hmm. um, or a career option and see if it was the right one yeah. for you or not? Like, did you, did you do work experience? I didn't because I was um, such a bad lass, I wasn't allowed to go. <laughs> I was apparently too mouthy oh. to go anywhere. Um, they felt checking like... for all the shocked faces around the table. <laughs> um, I think the term they used was opinionated. Yeah. I'm, not is, shocked, I'm Honestly, I'm outraged. I'm choked with outrage at people thinking that you were opinionated. I really wanted to go to the Northern Echo and they wouldn't let me go. Oh. I, know, I just so wanted to be a journalist. Therefore, I didn't go. Um, my first job I applied for was the Northern Echo. Mm. And my work experience was in the Purple Curl hairdressers. <laughs> so I think work experience is great and a very valuable <laughs> opportunity for children to learn which career is and isn't right for them. Was that not right for you? It wasn't you? right for me at all. <laughs>
considering you're the <laughs> only person I know who sometimes can't be bothered to wash a whole hair and just washes a fringe. <laughs> I'm not sure where hairdressing is for you either. <laughs> well, you want me to do your whole head of hair? All of it? Some of, it's, some of it looks like it's been washed this week. You don't need it doing again. So... I've got some summer jobs mm-hmm. with their descriptions, requirements, and the hourly wages. So, firstly, we're going to see if you're qualified enough to do these. Probably not. Um, so, Amazon. Right. Are you still doing Amazon? I had to buy a macerator because my toilet was broken <laughs> um, outside. So, I ended up... So, take a sip. <laughs> some bugger has put wipes down my bloody outside toilet and the whole toilet broke and the pump broke. So, it's cost me £190 for a new bloody macerator. Now, you know why... Pubs put signs up saying, do not Oh, post. there's a sign up now. Oh, but there's a sign up. But apart from that, you know, I'm really good with Amazon now. So, warehouse operative. Um, I actually saw this because Lennon applied for it when he Did was they? looking for a job. Yeah, and it was really good, actually. It was like a, a decent wage. Like, I want to say like 18 grand a year or something. Well, I've got hourly rates, so I'm going to work backwards and not try and do the maths. So, for you, do you think you'd be eligible for it? You need to have a strong work ethic. Yes. Attention to detail. Yes. Ability to work in a fast-paced environment. <laughs> yes. Um, do you bring a true commitment to customer service? Mm. Do you have a keen desire to help deliver a first-class Amazon experience? Or could you fake one? Do you know what? You're working in the warehouse. So, your rate of pay, Joe, <laughs> is from... Well, normally, £9.70 per hour. But if you start in June, they're doing a, a £10 an hour bonus. Grounds maintenance operative. Grounds operative, is that like just mowing the grass and that? Do you have to hoover it? You don't have to hoover it. Is it like a golf club or something? Yeah. Wouldn't want to do that either. Uh, oh, you could go there with your cardigan because you've got a hole in one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you need a qualification. PA1 and PA6. What, in horticulture? So, do you have experience in the use of ride-on mowers? <laughs> I wish I did. I'd love a ride-on mower. I don't even have grass, but I'd love a ride-on mower. And horticultural machinery. Like tractors and that. Right. I can use a strummer. So I'm going to say this isn't for me, really. You've got a bit of a commute as well because it's around Somerset. However, would you say that was higher or lower than the Amazon operative? Lower. It is lower, but I'm surprised because it needs a lot of experience and it even talks about qualifications. The picture's really nice. Anyway, Which works on the podcast and a phone I can't see. More for us. Bar staff, Quayside, Newcastle. Nailed it. Oi, oi. Person specification. Do you have a customer focus? Yes. Do you have drive? Yes. Do you have personal integrity? Yeah. Uh, I'll do out though for a shot again. <laughs> how are you with teamwork? I'm all right. Tell you what, get some good benefits on this one. A 50, oh, 50% discount on food and soft drinks. Lame. Lame. Honestly, when I used to work in a bar, people used to buy us drinks all the time. You know, people used to go, oh, like, I'll just keep the money and put it in the till. I used to just take the drinks. <laughs> one for me and one for you, love, thanks. Yeah. You're welcome, yeah. yeah. God knows what I was charging by the end of the night. You do get 20% off all food and drinks, though. And if you do a four-hour shift, you get free meals. So, you know, that's pretty good. How much bar is that? Would you say higher or lower? Than the Somerset place. Yeah. Um, higher. It is, yeah. Um, only a smidge, £9 an hour, but a lot of extra benefits. Mm. I think that's my favourite so far. Actually, um, now that we've gone to a cashless society, the other day I went to Pizza Hut. Other pizza restaurants are available. You have to order with a QR code. You order everything and you pay up front. Yeah. And when you pay up front, it says, would you like to add a tip to your order? I was like, no. I haven't even had any service yet. I've ordered it myself. Yeah, yeah. Done everything. Doing the graph. I've um, the done all the graph. I'm not tipping myself. Um, and I'll decide. It's a very British thing. We decide afterwards if you get a tip. So I said, no tip. And then it popped back up again recently that now that we're into a cashless society, we don't tip anymore. So actually what was previously a low paid job, but actually you got the benefit of tips. 
You don't know. Just a low-paid job. Although not as low-paid as a grounds maintenance. And I always find the tip thing difficult because you can still do it on the card. But then somebody said to me, don't ever do a tip on a card because they don't get it. But then like the waiter or waitress is still stood there and then like, they pretend they're turning away yeah. so they can't hear you going beep, 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 beep. Yeah, or just yeah. beep. And you've yeah. just gone, no. Um, and then I always feel bad and like put something in just because I know they can hear the beeps and then I don't know where it goes, but you know, presumably to the, yeah. the guy This is in the because you pants. once got chased down the street in New York by a guy who said you hadn't left a tip. I did. Traumatised um, me. Like came and berated us for not leaving a um, tip. But for in, a Lund- salad. in America, they do it's a pay there. very, very low. Yeah. And um, because yeah. they expected income um, But also, the service was atrocious and also, mm. I literally had no money. So. Mm. What's the biggest tip you've ever got in a job? Don't wash your hair with a hat on. <laughs> Like I say, I used to just drink all my tips, so I've never really no, had, never had a tips. job where we've got a tip. No, uh, no we do occasionally get <laughs> got that bottle of gin at work. That was a great day, wasn't it? We did. Yeah, we. Uh, do you know what? We've never had tips. We have been sent alcohol. Remember when Johnny Brown came and brought us a massive crate of wine? Yeah. And again, I feel like it says a lot about us. It does, and you know, it's appreciated. <laughs> and they're just cutting out the middleman. That's where we'd spend the money anyway. Kitchen porter. I've done that. Have you? Is that just washing up? It is just washing up. And I used to use the washing up machine, but you still had to wash up before you put it in the machine. And I used to peel approximately 8,000 cloves of garlic a night. Mm. I know. Awesome. The reason I'm still single <laughs> all these years um, later. So I'm going to go with very low for that. Duties include cleaning the areas, organising and keeping the storeroom clean. However, rumble and chip potatoes. I don't know what rumbling is, but it's obviously some sort of... Is rumbling what you do, you know, when you... In the pre- jungle. <laughs> when, you, when you parboil your potatoes to make roast Ooh, potatoes and you give, like it a, a give it a little shuffle. Could be. And then you stick them in. But, I mean, but you wouldn't like rumble and chip them, would you? Because... Just like, oh, maybe you would though. It's the same concept, yeah. yeah. <laughs> more or less than your bar staff. You get paid more as a kitchen porter than as a bar staff. Well, I said more or less, but yeah. Mm. Crazy. More, yeah, £10 an hour. Right, last one. Um, this one, I feel like it shouldn't be seasonal. It's a seasonal lifeguard. Well, yeah, nobody's going swimming in the, in the winter. Well, I just feel like you should be dedicated to being a lifeguard. Swimming in your pyjamas, that's all you need to be able to do as a lifeguard. Interestingly, it's at um, Chesington World of Adventures. Do you have bags of enthusiasm and energy with a passion for guest interaction and customer service? Oh, no, absolutely not. You can get a Merlin Magic Pass alongside... Ooh. <laughs> alongside everything else. Um, so what do you reckon, more or less, than the kitchen porter? I'd like to think more, considering kids' lives in their hands. Yeah, you would, but no. £8.67 an hour. I'm not even taking my eyes off the book for that. <laughs> They just have random poles, don't they? Grab on the pole. <laughs> Drop them. Get all to the pole. I'm only on eight pounds sixty an hour. I'm not getting these shoes wet for that. That will kill me. Oh, what's this little bugger? Theme park assistants, Flamingo Land. What do you reckon? More or less. Oh, less. I've seen how miserable we are. £6.50. We need people outgoing, friendly, motivated, hard and work. want to work for free. Pride in their appearance. Mm. Can, can wear a correct and clean uniform. I like the episode. I mean, when you just end up in your McDonald's <laughs> uniform, like, oh, I didn't know where I was going. <laughs> in a suit of armour. You can't come in into the House of Parliament. <laughs> Rishi Man, don't you? So do you want to start off just by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background then please, Ayana? Sure. So I am the founder of Young Money Blog. That's what really established my name. And I've gone on to become a writer, speaker, broadcaster and author specialising in young personal finance. So can you tell me why you've decided to go down that route then? So the, the young people's finance? It was really 
an accident. I mean, I am a trained musician. And when I was in my early 20s, I wasn't thinking that much about the future. I knew very little about personal finance. I was very happy-go-lucky, as you should be in your early 20s, to be fair. But I was also broke. <laughs> you know, being a musician is not exactly uh, lucrative. And so I became very interested in the general problems that were facing my generation. You know, this was a few years after the last financial crash. So I was aware that young people were really struggling to find jobs, move out of the family home, become financially independent. And uh, I realized I was far from alone in having financial problems. And so there was a space for a blog that could talk about young people's problems in a way that was non-judgmental, that came from a young person's perspective and that would be helpful and constructive. And I also thought that writing a blog would be a good way for me to learn about personal finance. So I think a lot of the time you do these things because you don't have anything to lose. It's a great position to start from in a way. And I think this about the past year when I look at younger people who've perhaps had a really tough time they've lost work they've maybe had to rethink their life plans but actually it can end up being an opportunity you can have silver linings as a result of that situation when you were mm. that person who was clueless about finance you mm. were looking at it from that perspective but obviously now in a different perspective where you do understand it do you still try and kind of put yourself back in those inexperienced shoes yeah it's a, it's a really good question you've always got to assume that people are intelligent and engaged but not knowledgeable and you don't want to dumb down the thing about money is that it's not rocket science a lot of it is about common sense that people do instinctively get the fact that you've got to just be quite canny in how you spend your money you've got to plan for the future these are things that people understand the problem is the psychology to put that into practice and sometimes that's because they've been perhaps conditioned to pursue money for the sake of it and also maybe because they've never talked about money when they were growing up with the people around them and so on so I think that you've always got to start from the position of understanding that people have got perhaps quite a difficult relationship with money and they find it a very hard subject to tackle in their lives. There's a couple of things that we struggle with as a culture. In Britain, people don't like to talk about money. They don't like to talk about salaries. No. Or if you've got debt or anything, there's still a lot of taboo and stigma around it. Um, and I just think there's a real lack of financial education because like you say, in the same way that health and wealth go hand in hand, with common sense, with diets, you know, can have all of these different kind of crazy diets that come out but actually it is always just back down to um you know eat less and move more it's the same with money you know spend less save more same concept it's just difficult because there's so much kind of fogging the whole arena the problem is that financial education it tends to get pushed into maths and so lots of young people maybe associate being good with money with being good with maths. And I think that there's a risk that then you put off a lot of younger people who, like me, are not very mathematical and don't have that kind of brain. And actually, it detracts from this bigger conversation about what it takes to have a healthy relationship with money and that it's really about understanding the ways in which your environment can make you do things that are not in your own interest. That was a really good example that you brought up about diets and eating. And with this debate that we've been having about how we prevent childhood obesity, yes, a lot of it is common sense. And yet people really do struggle to put that common sense into action because there's so much in their environment that forces them towards the less healthy options. And it's the same with money. Wanting to have that 
healthy relationship with their finances. That's that's what I think being good with money is about. There's um, a quote from the author of Gulliver's Travels, uh, Jonathan Swift who said, keep money in your head and not in your heart. And for me, that really sums up what being good with money is all about. It's such a huge part, and which is why I, I always get a little bit, I can't believe that we're so British and we still just don't speak about it enough. I mean, with the rise of social media, it's brought lots of downsides for our lives. But one upside is that we do have more influencers talking about money, being open about money. We were talking about influencers and kind of in this episode of the podcast as well. Um, and actually, yes, there is definitely a benefit of it, and even just in terms of getting it into people's consciousness and aware of it. But also we were talking about it can go too far. And what's your thoughts on that? And kind of where do you think that that as a, a concept might end up heading? It's an area that I studied a lot when I was researching my book, because I'm conscious that more and more young people are going online and getting information from these influencers who do not necessarily have qualifications, who may not have very much experience and may be only interested in pushing what they're invested in. And so they have an underlying agenda that the person watching or reading their content may not be aware of. And I think generally speaking, the Advertising Standards Authority, the Financial Conduct Authority, you know, all the regulators here in the UK having to play catch up with this new world of social media what influencers are doing is is just far outstripping the abilities of the regulators uh, to monitor and when necessary to pull some of the posts and the adverts that are being put out there that can be misleading and unhelpful and so i think that young people need to be armed with the media literacy that, that goes alongside financial literacy so that when they go online, that they are not taking it all completely at face value uh, and then to make up their own mind rather than hang on the word of people who have set themselves up in very persuasive, confident ways, because I think that's what we like as, as humans. We, we, we love to find answers and we want people to kind of tell us that if we do X, Y and Z, then everything will be OK. You know, when you've been around on the planet for, for a bit longer, you realize that there aren't simple answers to a lot of these problems in life, that you have to keep working at things, that you know having a good relationship with money it won't be a, a, a one-off process, it's, 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 it's lifelong. And I think I'm going to make another analogy, so apologies. <laughs> and I think it's like any relationship, the longest lasting ones, there will be ups and downs. It's not, you know, mm -hmm. straight path. And I think influencers, you know, you guys from Love Island or whoever will make those relationships look easy. We just need to try and help young people avoid making really expensive mistakes and always learning the hard way. It's that how do you communicate to young people who feel quite indestructible sometimes, you know, when shit gets real and you become an adult and you realize that actually you don't know it all, you have to keep learning, you have to keep an open mind and you've got to, to stay on your toes as well. So, you know, how do you communicate that to young people who haven't yet really had that reality hit home for them? Because, you know, you, you have to be so careful online now. It's so much easier to succumb to fraud so much easier to lose all your money from um, ill-advised investing. And you now can use buy now, pay later without realizing that in 10 years time, that could affect whether or not you get a mortgage. These are really important lessons we need to convey to young people 
but how you do that is is very difficult and it's it's particularly difficult for the mainstream financial industry because they have i think lost a lot of young people's trust especially after 2008 i mean we're obviously really entrenched in financial services there's a huge gap for the younger people to get really good advice yeah fill it but it's yeah. it's just so difficult um we were talking about your first job or your first summer job can you what was yours when i uh, left university um i went to glasgow and i spent my time playing in bands, uh, trying to establish myself as a singer-songwriter. And I also did some gigs with a singer in a bar that I later found out was run by the Glasgow Mafia, <laughs> which I didn't realise at the time. But I probably should have realised that, that that was what was going on because I was paid in cash. And I'd take this cash and I would put it in a piggy bank in my bedroom in my parents' house, because that's where I, I moved back home after a year or two, because I couldn't afford rent in Glasgow anymore. And then I came back one night from one of these gigs, and I went up to my bedroom, and it had been ransacked. And I thought, what's going on here? Initially, I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm, I, I can't believe I'm this messy. I can't remember leaving my room in such a state. And then I realised, no, someone's been in here. I've been burgled. And of course, piggy bank was gone because, you know, there's nothing like a piggy bank to advertise. <laughs> got money, <laughs> big neon sign above it saying, please take me. Um, so, yeah, that was about 500 quid gone. And that was a lot of money to me as a 22 year old. Best if it was all like mafia money. It was never seen again. But I do remember the police officer came around that evening to take a statement. I felt so embarrassed having to give a description of this piggy bank to the police officer and trying to remember if it had a pail and if it had sun. I think it had sunglasses on and everything. It was it was just so embarrassing. And it was on these moments that actually did, in hindsight, kind of lead to me starting my blog because I thought to myself, I've really got to get on top of this. It's not good. The fact that I'm, as a grown-ass 23-year-old woman, still saving my money into a piggy bank and that it's got stolen things have got to change sure. <laughs> well thank you Iona um, and Iona do you want to just give a little plug for your book yeah sure so uh, it's called Own It How Our Generation Can Invest Our Way to a Better Future Aww, lovely. thank you very much thank you so much great thank you it's been great I've really enjoyed it So that was another episode of That Moon Podcast. Um, thank you for listening. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Um, we are found wherever you find your normal podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify and the rest. And thanks very much as always to Second Draft who do their work um, really, really well and you know edit out all of the nonsense that we said. Um, and thank you very much to everybody for listening. Thanks. Bye. Forgive me if I'm asking a stupid question because you know I'm really, really bad with geography. But is it always hot in Australia? Or is it just hot at the different times? Like other parts of the world? <laughs> like um, I think it's still on the earth, so it still revolves. Um, so there'll be parts of it that are not always on the sun. Um, but I don't think that's how the sun works. <laughs> no, the earth spins, doesn't it? And that's why you're not always on the sun. Yeah, well, I get that's So like that still happens night. in Australia, so it's not always like hot. Isn't that just about how close you are to the equator? Those how hot you are.
And that doesn't, that doesn't change. <laughs> but it's not hot, hot, hot in winter, is it? <laughs> I don't know how science works. Mind drink <laughs> Spin round one. <laughs> it spins round one. It spins back today. Today, yeah. But then it goes around the sun, and it's spinning as it goes around. Yeah, a day. Yeah, so then it's got like different points. Yeah, but you've got winter and summer, haven't you? Like you have in England. Mm -hmm. So an Australia winter is colder than an Australia summer. But is it like cold, cold, like we like get? Cold. Mm. So it's close to the equator than us. Oh yeah, but that doesn't matter if it spins on us, it's still closer to the equator. That, that was my point, yeah, yeah. Equator's in the middle That's of the world. What, yeah. <laughs> Knew that. Look, it's hot, I need a parasol. Do you do? 